0: hi guys welcome back if it's your first time here and thank you for joining us this is the doula's guide to preparing for your birth with me meg also known as the dungaree doula it's a podcast where we talk about all things pregnancy birth and parenting my aim is to share unbiased information alongside a bit of friendly chit chat to ensure that you head into parenthood feeling confident and excited for what's to come If you're new to the podcast and would like to know more about me, then go and check out the very first episode for a little introduction alongside a big chat on hypnobirthing and then the following episodes for some great birth and parenting preparation. If you love the podcast, you can now leave me a little tip to say thank you via buy me a coffee. The link is in the show notes. A huge, huge thank you in advance if you choose to do this. The podcast is something that I research, write, record and edit completely alone and completely unpaid for it. So the tips that come in from those of you who have found it useful are truly, truly appreciated. Before we begin, I also want to remind you that I have a pre-recorded online hypnobirthing course, which is a full antenatal education and hypnobirthing course. You can sign up to it and start working through it right away and in your own time. There are over 30 modules to work through, each made up of video content with PDF downloads, hypnobirthing, MP3 tracks, relaxation tracks, journaling prompts, birth plan templates, birth partner checklists, and so much more is only 37 pound which is an absolute steal but to celebrate the launch of season two you can use the code podcast for 20% off so just click the link in the show notes or head to my website which is the dungareedooler.co.uk and head to the online course page Whilst you're over there you might see the even newer Hypnobirthing Essentials pre-recorded online course which as it sounds is a condensed version still pre-recorded for you to work through in your own time but it's maybe for those of you at the end of your pregnancies if you don't have as much time to work through a course those of you who have done other antenatal education on just want your hypnobirthing on top of it. Maybe those of you who are pregnant for the second, third, fourth time and want a refresher. So if any of those sound like you, head to the same place, link in the show notes and check it out. in Essentials is just £20. So again, incredible, incredible value. In this episode of the podcast, I am chatting to the wonderful Bee, who is known as Bee's Birth and Boobs. B is a breastfeeding counsellor, a hypnobirthing instructor and birth educator. We're discussing those very first few days with a newborn, what to expect, normal infant behaviour, signs that breastfeeding is going well, and where we can seek help if things aren't going so great. B gives her top tips for getting breastfeeding off to the best start how not to fall into the top-up trap and there's a couple of hefty discussions around baby poo so prepare yourself for that. Once you've had your baby you will realise the discussions about baby poo just truly do not stop coming so this will be a nice initiation for those of you who are currently pregnant with your fest. I hope you love this episode as much as I love chatting with B. Let's get into it. <laughs> Hi! Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Um, just before we get into all of our questions, our topic for the day. Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, thank you for having me on. It's very exciting. Um, hi, I'm B. I am a mum of two. I live in sort of Leicestershire, Nottinghamshire area, literally smack bang in between. Leicester and Nottingham in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Um, I'm a hypnobirthing teacher and antenatal instructor, also a breastfeeding counsellor and before that I was a breastfeeding peer supporter so kind of like gone up the levels a little bit but I also am an infant feeding support worker within the NHS as well so like my whole life is basically vaginas and boobs pretty much. That is... Twenty
0: four seven, all I do. <laughs> Same people are like, "What do you do? Why do you have like fake boobs all around your house and yeah. pelvises and stuff like that?" Yeah. And I'm like, "It's just, it's just easier to not even go into <laughs> <My> it." I like. It's just, just taken it over at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so you are a relatively new hypnobirthing teacher, but like you say, not infant feeding support. So how did you get into that?
1: Infant feeding support. I, I always knew I wanted to breastfeed. So my oldest is six now. And when I was pregnant, I always knew I wanted to feed, but I didn't do any preparation. I didn't really know anything about it. And then when it came round to her being born, I was like, whoa, what's going on? This is very overwhelming. I didn't know what to expect. And I started just, like, researching myself and finding out all about it. Like, the first thing I realised like, and started researching was, like, cluster feeding. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And then I started passing it on to other people that were, like, in Facebook groups going, oh, my baby's doing this. What about this? And I started just researching and like answering questions for other people. And I was like, I love doing this. I love passing on this knowledge that I've learned to other people. And then um, when she was about six months old, my local breastfeeding support group were offering training to become a peer supporter. And I was like, yes, I definitely want to do that. And completely jumped on it and was just totally fascinated by everything that I learned in the course. And I started volunteering weekly at the local breastfeeding group, and I still volunteer weekly now. I absolutely love it, but then I was like, I just want to learn more. I want to keep doing more with this because peer support is is brilliant, but it's knowing like all the basics. And I was like, I want to, I want to learn more. So I just did the breastfeeding counselor training, and yeah, that was absolutely fascinating as well. And I just loved it so much. And I was like, I want to, I want to do this as every day as my job. I want it to be my career. And infant feeding support work doesn't come across very often in paid roles. And so when one did, I was like, yeah, jumping at it. Absolutely love it. And it is fantastic. I absolutely love it. It is so rewarding. And yeah, I just love passing on the information, to be honest. It is something that I feel really, really strongly about, that everyone should have that, the knowledge. And it makes me feel very good. It's very rewarding hearing other people being like you sort of see the light bulb moments and go oh that was so helpful thank you like yay (laughs) it's brilliant
0: 100% 100% and I bet you're starting to see that as well with the birth work that you're doing now and it's a very similar story for most of us birth workers isn't it that it's the same sort of thing that we have our birth experience and we maybe don't do enough preparation or we do a little bit and then we delve deeper and we're like why doesn't everyone know this like why is it out then it's just the exact same thing with feeding like I was the same I wanted to breastfeed but I did no preparation because I didn't really know what preparation was out there I was like okay. oh surely you, it? okay. you just have a baby baby on your boob yeah I
1: didn't think there was anything more
0: to it yeah it's it's like that's it and it's not it's something that we've completely lost from our culture is preparing for birth and preparing for breastfeed because if you think of years gone by it would have it would have just been the knowledge that was passed down to us from family yeah. and friends and aunties and siblings but we don't do that anymore we just go yeah, yeah I'm gonna have a positive birth and leave it to chance I'm just gonna breastfeed and leave it to yeah. chance and it's like we've lost that knowledge so we do need people that are passionate about it to pass it on so I think yeah, it's really important
1: we're not around people that feed very often now we are a very formula feeding society
0: yeah
1: and so it means that lots of people actually haven't seen anyone breastfeed probably until they have their own baby so it is really difficult to just kind of go into it and just do it without seeing anything at all so yeah. it's really hard
0: Yeah, I'd never seen anyone breastfeed. My mum breastfed me, but I obviously didn't see that. I don't remember it. Um, And then as I got older, um, no one in my family breastfed except for one of my aunties, but I didn't live close to her. So I never even knew that she breastfed. I never saw her. Nobody else that I'd been around was breastfeeding. I didn't have any friends who even had babies. I just had this weird thing in my head where I was like, I'm definitely going to breastfeed, but I knew nothing about it. Never. Even on the street, like you barely, I made a point of breastfeeding everywhere like yeah. <laughs> but like a lot of people just, do it just to do it yeah, yeah. and and just so yeah to make
1: it sort of more normalized yeah just be able to do it whenever you can um and yeah I was really lucky that my mum breastfed me and my three sisters so she was really sort of knowledgeable so I was literally like messaging her um after I had my first like what's going on is this normal she's like feeding for five minutes and then off for five minutes and then on again what's going on And she was amazing, like reassuring me. But again, because we're in that formula feeding society, a lot of people won't have like parents or family members that did breastfeed. So they might not get the same sort of response. They might say that and then go, oh, maybe you're not making enough milk. You probably need to bottle feed instead. Mm -hmm. So it kind of that generation as well don't really understand breastfeeding a lot of the time. So I was really, really lucky that I had my mum that did understand it.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I think also as you say, like, because so many people formula feed, I think there's also, like, it's accessible to get information now with the internet and stuff, and that is great, but also then you get so many different opinions online. So if you post something, like, for example, like you said, in a group, in Facebook groups, on forums, things like that, why is my baby coming on and off every five minutes? You're going to get those people who are not trained, but who have just had it happen to themselves, and they go, oh, I had that, and it's because I had low milk supply, and you probably do too, so you need to top up, and it's like, "Mm, no, not necessarily, Yeah, and it's it's absolutely. really hard and you, you you don't know who to believe and you're hearing so many different opinions from different people and it's yeah it's really tricky because we it's not like you say yeah, it's not generational knowledge anymore it's yeah. searching it out from a wide range of sources for better or for worse I do think it there's a lot of pros to it obviously to be able to have that accessible information but it can definitely be unhelpful as well <laughs>
1: this can be a lot of conflict yeah. especially online you can get People will say, well, I read one thing on one site and then a completely opposite thing on one site. And it's trying to figure out, well, actually, what are reputable sources yeah. as well? It can be really difficult. Like, there are so there's so much breastfeeding information, actually, on formula company yeah. sites. And they come up really high up when you, like, type something in on Google. And you just click on it. And then it will say something that maybe isn't actually 100% true. Like, oh, if your baby is not sleeping through at six months old, maybe they're not getting enough milk by breastfeeding. Maybe you need to supplement with formula. That is something that yeah. commonly does come up. So it's actually f- figuring out what are the reputable sources, what ones that you can trust, yeah, and know that it is accurate because that's really hard.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. So that kind of is a nice segue into what we're going to talk about cuz we've not even mentioned it yet. <laughs> but what we're going to talk about is the very first sort of few days, the early days, the first few weeks of breastfeeding cuz I think that is where a lot of people get thrown because like like me and you, we knew we wanted to breastfeed, we hadn't done any preparation, and actually those first few days and those first few weeks are really crucial to the breastfeeding journey. If you can get those first few days off to a really good start, then it is a lot easier moving forward. Whereas if you go into it and those first few days and those few first few weeks are incredibly difficult, That's when a lot of people end up giving up, isn't it? Like we've seen from the stats, a lot of people end up giving up really soon after they start because they haven't got the right support. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um and so the first sort of thing that I wanted to talk about is just what to expect in those first few days because so many people just do not understand normal infant behaviour, do we? It's not it's not something as a society that we talk about. We talk about sleep like a baby, and as if that's a good thing. Everyone should sleep like a baby. I'm like, have you ever met a baby?
1: they do not sleep (laughs) (laughs) that is not the right term to use god no no. and Mm -hmm. yeah you're totally right in terms of we've just lost as a society what normal newborn behavior is and i really think that is one thing that if you are pregnant to search about now before it comes around to it because every baby is going to behave like this regardless of your feeding method whether you're bottle feeding or breastfeeding they are going to behave like this and You need to know about it first so that when it comes to it, you're not in complete shock and thinking, well, my baby must be completely broken because they're not. They have a survival instinct in them (laughs) and literally need to be close to you. It is a need. It's not a want. They're not manipulating you. They literally want to be with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, constantly. But yeah, in the first week, that is probably... It's a very full on time. I always say if you can get through that first seven days, you've set yourself up really, really good because that is the toughest point. There's so many changes that happen in that first week Um, and really set expectations really, really low for what's going to happen. You probably are going to be mostly feeding. You're not going to be up and about going to the shops two days after giving birth. You probably are going to be sat on the sofa or in bed feeding quite a lot. But in those first 24 hours, it can almost set you into a false sense of security because your baby is very tired after birth, regardless of how you've given birth, even with a cesarean, they're gonna be tired and they tend to sleep very well. They only feed maybe about four or five times in the first twenty four hours, that's completely normal, and they settle into their cart or their Moses basket beautifully, and you go oh my goodness, I've got such a good baby. (laughs) (laughs) This is so easy, wow. And then suddenly the second day comes around and they're okay, maybe a little bit more awake. But then the night comes and they suddenly, they wake, they will not be put down. They are feeding really, really frequently. They're fussing at the breast as well to increase your milk supply, basically. But they just wake up and they are very much not wanting to go down in their cot and you can't do much else apart from that and they call this second night syndrome and it really is something to prepare for because the first time oh my goodness it came as a massive shock to me it's so hard it's so
0: hard because as well at the same time your hormone hormone levels are dropping yeah. as well, so your everything feels like a disaster. Like you're so happy to have a baby, but your hormones and your emotions are insane. They're absolutely raging, and everything is like I mean, it's it's ridiculously hard anyway. That night, that second night, I remember it so well. But then on top of it, everything's like at catastrophe level 100 <laughs> because of what our hormones are also doing at the same time. Oh, I, it's like a perfect storm. I was storm.
1: crying so much on that second night. <laughs> Me too just around my like, what's wrong with my baby she's broken it's me too wrong. yeah and it was just I wish I'd have known about it before because it is really normal and if you know to expect it it's then a good idea to maybe prepare for it so get some sleep in during the day leading up to that second night and a lot of the time that tends to be a day know, the second day where you probably if you give a birth in the hospital, you're home and people like to come visit. You know, you have your parents around, some family and they all like to come meet the baby and you're hosting. and You're absolutely shattered anyway. And then you're like, right, okay, bedtime, let's try and get some sleep. And then this baby just doesn't settle and then you're even more shattered. So a big tip for that for me personally is if you can just say no to visitors on that day leading up to that second night so that you can just get some sleep in to prepare for it, because it is a lot easier to handle if, one, you're prepared for it, and, two, you've had a bit of sleep leading up to it rather than being completely sleep-deprived leading up to that. So, yeah, second-night syndrome is a big one to be ready for because it is a bit of a shock. And a lot of people at that point then worry that I've not got the milk because they're not settling, they'll only sleep in my arms, they're feeding loads, and that's commonly where people do start to maybe top up Or start giving, you know, extra in a bottle or something because they are so worried that actually they've not got the milk, and that is a common concern when people sort of use the behaviour of the of the baby as that worry that they haven't got the milk supply, and that tends to be very common as to when it starts. Um, But yeah, then after day two or night two, around day three, four, you start to get the transition of your milk supply and I call it transition rather than milk coming in because a lot of people if you say milk coming in they go oh my god well, what happens before then yeah. I've not got milk and you have you absolutely have milk you've got colostrum that is started to be produced from about 16 weeks of pregnancy so you have got colostrum so I tend to say milk transition to mature milk rather than milk coming in so that it makes it very clear that there is milk before then yeah um and at this point, it is very common for babies to cluster feed to get that milk in a little bit more, to bring it in a bit quicker. You tend to get, when they when the milk does suddenly change, very, very full and engorged breasts. They suddenly fill up and you're just like, where did they come from? Yeah. <laughs> What's going on? And they can feel very warm and very, very heavy. And they can be a bit sore and painful sometimes when mm. they're engorged. And it can mean that their baby does struggle to latch on a little bit because they're so full so it's trying to keep them as soft as possible so actually the baby cluster feeding and feeding frequently is actually helping your breasts to be a little bit softer so it's helping the baby to come onto the breast nice and easily um, we want soft breasts
0: actually we don't want full breasts yeah I I I definitely found that with Izzy my with my eldest she was like a a good sleeper I'm saying that with quotation marks she's still a normal (laughs) sleeper but like I've had a baby that doesn't sleep ever so Izzy was like a good sleeper and she would sleep for like three hours from being born but I hated it when my milk came in because by that second hour I was like please feed please relieve me I was like please wake up and I was like you never wake a sleeping baby I'm not going to do it and I'd just be laid there in pain like please wake up oh no that's
1: not nice (laughs) it is it's an agonizing feeling sometimes so intense it does it does you know go down yeah it didn't
0: last for long it was was literally (laughs) just like a couple of days it was like that was all it was it was a couple of days but it was just like I've gone from like this hell where you won't stop feeding on night two to then Mm. because that milk came in on day three so it was literally like the next day to like oh and now it's the opposite yeah it's
1: good she worked so hard at bringing in that milk yeah and that transition and then they were like right I've done what I needed to do Time for me to sleep now.
0: I was like, right, That's okay, I live here. What I needed
1: to do. I did the work, and it's it's now in. The yeah. milk is fully through. I'm all good. Yeah. Um, what a lot of people do notice as well on that sort of day three, four, when the milk does transition, is a huge change in your hormone levels. Yeah. And it's very common to just cry on that day. So many mm. people are just like, I'm just crying all the time. I don't know what's wrong. All with the me. time. <laughs> That's absolutely fine. It's really normal. It's because of that sudden hormone shift. Yeah. Um, Yeah, just lots of cuddles, get those cuddles at that point and talk to people. Don't just sit there and just think that you're unusual and stuff. It's
0: totally normal. Everyone's going through it. Yeah, 100%. I think that's something that's really would be super helpful to normalise for people because there's that pressure in there. Like, why are I happy? I've wanted this baby for so long. Um, Why are I happy? And it's like, it's not that you're not happy it's 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 hormonal it's like your biology it's nothing that you can change about it because I yeah I just cried especially the first time just cried for nothing like I remember my partner being like why are you crying I don't know no idea just crying I don't know why I'm just crying (laughs) yeah all the time (laughs) yeah
1: and around this time as well you might notice a change in the nappies Hmm. so the color of the poos will change a little bit because of that transition of the milk it'll go from being sort of like dark to yellow and that's a really good sign as well that you are you know giving your baby lots of milk because of that change in the colors that's what you want to look out for and that can be really reassuring to people that oh yeah they're getting plenty of milk because of that change in the color of the nappies I'm doing well and knowing the signs of sort of your baby getting enough milk I think is again really really important so that people can be reassured because you do very commonly in this first week, people are so worried about how much milk their baby is getting. And if they are getting enough milk, because of these behaviours, because they are cluster feeding, because they won't be put down in their cot, they do automatically go, well, I must not be making enough milk. You know, I speak to people constantly, this is probably one of the most common concerns, actually, with people in my job, is that they go, yeah, I'm breastfeeding, but I don't think they're getting enough milk. So I'm topping them up with formula afterwards. And I kind of delve in a bit deeper and find out that the reason why they think that baby isn't getting enough milk is literally because they say, well, they're not going three, four hours between feeds and they're not being put down after a feed. As soon as I put them down, they start squirming and waking up and want to come back on the breast. So that's when I give them a bottle and I'm just like that's totally normal yeah it's to do with your milk at all it's just normal that's normal behavior and yeah just reassuring yourself with well they are getting the nappies so they must be getting enough is just really really helpful for yourself to be able to reassure yourself basically
0: yeah that's such a good point actually because it can be really hard and I mean like I said like so Izzy was she was a, a good sleeper and then juniper my youngest was a a bad sleeper (laughs) like a fussy a pussy sleeper she would sleep like sometimes 30 minutes and then be back awake and even though everything i knew like i'd already trained to do like everything that i knew about feeding and about normal infant behavior it still threw me because that wasn't my experience the first time and i was like is there something wrong surely not i've breastfed successfully before why is this happening and it was just yeah having those little cues is super helpful like no she is fine she is she's gaining weight and she's her nappy's are uh, normal like it's just this is a normal baby and I was duped the first time <laughs>
1: yeah absolutely. it can be really helpful to just know to reassure yourself because yeah even as a breastfeeding counsellor second time around I was like yep yeah, I know what's all good and I still had those random moments yeah. of doubt coming. hang on is he getting enough milk <laughs> And yeah, it's vital to just be able to kind of like go, well, he's had this many nappies today. So yes, he is getting enough milk. That's all good. It's fine. No worries.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think it's hard as well, because often people will say to you, like, like people who do formula feed or people who are just not used to being around breastfeeding, people will, will ask those questions, but they'll say, well, how do you know how much they're getting and stuff like that? And you're like, I don't. And even though you know that that's completely normal, it can still plant that tiny little seed of doubt, like, but i don't actually know you're like that's fine
1: (laughs) i think sometimes it's such a a big thing to just trust in your body and Mm -hmm. trust in your baby and it can be really difficult to do this it's exactly the same with birth you know we talk about trusting in your body that it can do this and it knows what it's doing and i just think as a society we just don't trust ourselves and trust our bodies that they can do this and it you know it, it can be done but actually, if you just put faith in it, yeah, you don't need to know exactly the amount of meals that a baby is having. You don't need to have that to know that they're feeding well. You just need to go with your baby, go with your body, trust that it's doing all the right things. And if in doubt, the nappies are going to tell you because what comes in is going to come out the other end. Yeah. And that is the best indicator of knowing that actually you are giving your baby enough milk. And obviously, if they are having less than normal it doesn't necessarily mean jump straight to giving formula or bottles. Just get some support yeah. because it might just be something with latch. It might be simple as offering both breasts instead of one or doing some breast compressions, like really, really little things that just help a bit in yeah. terms of then getting a little bit more milk. It doesn't always mean that something is terribly, terribly wrong. Just, yeah, get some support, basically.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: And yeah, on day five as well, you get a weight check with the midwife and that's when there will be most likely a bit of a weight loss mm. and if you're not prepared for that sometimes when the midwife will go okay so they've lost this much of their birth weight you go what yeah <laughs> feeding constantly how on earth have they lost weight and that's just really really normal for all babies regardless of get a feeding method they're probably going to lose up to about 10 percent of their birth weight without it being a worry at all and that's just because of the extra fluids that they've had and that's totally, totally normal, don't be concerned, up to 10% is normal, and they should be reaching their birth weight again by about two to three weeks, and again, really, really normal, don't panic about that, but yeah.
0: (laughs) No, that's super helpful, and um, and we've kind of touched on it, but so what would you say are, like, your top couple of tips for those early days, I mean, you've given so many top tips already, (laughs) but what would you say is, like, the top thing to just be mindful of in those first few days?
1: I think the biggest one is literally, yeah, set expectations really low that you're just going to probably be feeding very frequently. You're not going to be up and about. You don't need to have lots of people around your house. Honestly, for that first week, I would say no visitors unless they are coming to do something for you. No visitors that are going to be coming and asking to hold the baby and asking for cups of tea. If people come round, they are to do washing up they are to bring you some food, they're to do something helpful, because your main job is to just sit there and bond with your baby and feed your baby and build your milk supply. And I can say from experience that it works. So first time for me, I kind of like fought against this normal newborn behavior and trying to feed often. And we did lots of stuff um, up and about quite quickly. By six days old, I think we had like a garden party
0: yeah.
1: and stuff. But it was full on. And then she lost, uh, up day five, she lost about 9.8% of her birth weight. So within the normal range, but it was quite decent. So they wanted us to just come and reweigh again a few days later. Um, and it took a while for things to become established and for us to kind of like feel confident with feeding. Whereas second time, I basically just resided to my bed in my pyjamas, For two weeks, while my husband was on paternity leave, it was Christmas holidays, so I just sat in bed all day and it was absolutely fantastic. I let him be off and on the breast whenever he wanted. We co-slept, so we were just like sleeping in between it. And he lost only 2% of his birth weight. And we felt confident and established with feeding a hell of a lot earlier than I did the first time. So it really does work and it helps you to get into that rhythm a lot faster. If you can just kind of surrender to it, and just let it happen, It honestly, you kind of reap the benefits of it a lot earlier compared to if you kind of fight against it. In that fighting against it for a long period of time until it does finally settle compared to if you just kind of go, right, this is just going to be it for a little while. I'm just going to sit in bed, let them feed as long and as many times as they want, and it will be fine. And, you know, you'll be recovering after birth as well (laughs) again regardless of the kind of birth you've had you still need to rest and recover even if you've had I had a home birth last time and no tears at all I still needed to recover my body had still been through a lot and I still needed to rest and recover and it was perfect it was just what my body needed and just what he needed as well so it really does help and if you can focus on anything just literally focus on the feeding and everyone else can do all the other stuff that needs doing you know if anyone wants to help and you get messages of people saying oh can i come round?" yes absolutely as long as you bring some food as yeah. long as you do the hoovering something like that yeah and just let go of the routine yeah don't worry about routine they're not going to get into a routine for yeah. quite a while there's no takes such thing <laughs> times. it takes a long time so just forget about routine ignore the clock Don't look at the clock in terms of, oh, well, they've only fed, you know, two hours ago. Ignore it. Just respond to your baby because they don't know the clock. They don't know when they're meant to be hungry. They just know that they are hungry right then. Um, And get loads of skin to skin.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. Because it is honestly, skin to skin should be used as a a discharge sort of prescription. If you're leaving the hospital with your baby, you know, they go, well, this is your medication. This is the pain relief that you should take and do skin to skin. Yeah should be that because it is magic there are so many benefits to it even without the breastfeeding side of things but it helps with your milk supply it helps baby to root for the breast so it brings them onto the breast more frequently so it helps to establish things it helps with the latching as well it's just it's absolutely fantastic you notice those feeding cues a lot sooner
0: it's gonna make you feel better as well because like having skin to skin because it's boosting that oxytocin it's actually been like linked to a reduction in personal depression yeah early so it's it's that's mad. yeah I agree it's absolute magic skin to skin I wish I wish that was something like you say yeah when the midwives send you home or leave or whatever I wish that they just said to you yeah this is your prescription actually the most important thing you can do is lay in bed skin to skin with your baby
1: (laughs) It's almost like a bit of a reset button as well, I think, for breastfeeding. So for me, if anyone is having struggles with breastfeeding, like the baby's not latching or they're struggling in some sort of way, I just say just get in skin to skin.
0: Yeah.
1: And by skin to skin, I don't mean just there for like 10 minutes. I mean a full day Yeah. there in skin to skin for a whole day. Don't come out of it. Yeah. You need to stay in that position. And it really does help. Like if a baby isn't wanting to latch, I just say just stay in skin to skin yeah. because then if it comes to it and the baby doesn't latch you've still gotten so many benefits just from the skin to skin you've not lost anything from doing it because it's regulating the baby's temperature and heart rate and it's giving them oxytocin boost and yourself it's really really beneficial it's helping with the gut microbiome as well it is just magic so even if your baby is struggling you don't end up sort of having that latch doesn't matter yeah you've not
0: lost you've not lost anything there's no risk factors to doing it all you can do is gain from it even if you don't get your intended outcome you still get the wealth of other benefits so yeah i completely think my
1: biggest tip is to always have water snack tv remote and phone charger with you yeah before you sit down (laughs) to feed because you might be there for a little while yeah so sit down without all of that stuff
0: yeah, put it in a little bag, a little box. Yeah. I used to have a little box, like well, not a box. It was like a tub with little yeah. handles on it, and I could just take it wherever I Carry wanted. <laughs> That's what you need. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I, I say that to everyone, all of my clients. I'm like, have you got, have you got a little box anywhere? And they're like, why? And I'm like, just bring it, and I'll show you. Like, you're gonna, you're gonna use this. You're gonna need well, it.
1: <laughs> get into a good box set. Yeah, because you're going to be sitting there feeding for quite a while. Pick a series or something that you can really get into. Mine yeah. was Grey's Anatomy this time, and it, there was so many episodes, so I really got into it. And it meant that when I did go to sit down to feed, I was excited about it. Yeah, so, this is my time to sit and watch Grey's Anatomy. I'm going to have a great time, not oh my gosh, feeding time again. Yeah, so made me excited for it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good tip, and I think something like so if you've got like older children, like toddlers or anything, the second time round it's like, you don't have control of the TV at that point. So I just had, um, I just read books, but like on my phone or on a Kindle, like have those next to you or put your headphones in, just put one headphone in and listen to a podcast. Because yeah, Yeah. and then because you do, not it's hard because you don't want to just stick your kid in front of the TV all day. But in those early days, you don't have a choice always, you know, like put them some Lego on the floor, but also you're going to stick see babies on and then yeah, stick yourself a headphone in with some podcasts or have a book on your Kindle. And then you know, you're meeting both your baby's needs, but you're also not, going brain dead, basically. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah.
1: Do something for you in that time, whether that is TV, podcast, book, listening to music, yeah. whatever it is, do something that actually you're going to enjoy in that time so that it does make it a little bit more enjoyable for you because otherwise you sit there, like I said, in silence, just kind of staring yeah. at a blank wall. <laughs> it's probably really boring because they might feed for five minutes, but they might feed for 45 minutes. Yeah. So you don't know how long you're going to be there for. So. Yeah. Do something that's it's gonna make it a little bit nicer to sit there rather than staring at a
0: wall. Yeah, a hundred percent. No, I think those are great tips. And then as well, that like kind of like the next sort of thing we wanted to talk about is the advice that might be given in hospitals or by family. And we did kind of touch on this again at the beginning, but it's more Is it helpful or is it harmful? I'm sure you've got a really good experience of this from your role of the advice that people are given. Especially, what I find quite worrying is the advice a lot of people are given in hospitals or by maternity staff. And it is so well-meaning; it's not they're not giving bad advice on purpose. But a lot of the training is very outdated. And I've had clients who have gone, "Well, the midwife said that they should wear, they should feed every three hours." like on a schedule and I should wake them up if they're not awake and I should not feed them if it's not been three hours and I think that's probably the main one but I know there's quite a lot there's like dirt feed to sleep and things like that and and how sort of harmful is this and what what how would you sort of combat this yeah.
1: it's so difficult because especially if it is coming from a professional it's just that much harder to deal with yeah. the thing that I find most common for one is the people that have maybe experienced gestational diabetes yeah. while they are pregnant, and they are basically told during pregnancy that they're going to probably have to give formula,
0: Yeah. because
1: their blood, sh- the baby's blood sugars are a little bit low. But they don't get told about maybe hand expressing or harvesting colostrum to help with those blood sugars. None of that is <clears throat> is discussed, and they just kind of are told. You know, I'm speaking to them on day sort of two, three, and they're like, "Oh yeah, my midwife's told me we need to give um, formula to help with the blood sugars." I'm like formula isn't necessary it's not something that has to be done because of that reason it is not common for formula to be needed in those early days I mean one thing that really angered me once while I was working in the hospital actually was um we'd looked at someone's notes and it said they wanted to breastfeed and then 20 minutes after a vaginal birth the baby hadn't fed so they offered formula in a cup and I was like 20 minutes (sighs) has literally just been born the placenta's probably not even bled out yet that's insane pushing the formula it doesn't make sense a lot of the time i think in hospitals formula and bottles does tend to be pushed a little bit more but just because it's easier yeah because they don't have the time and i really do sympathize with that they just don't have the time to give that support so it is much easier to say well let's just give a bottle of formula for now and we'll see how things are later but that's not just a now it tends to have a knock-on effect it's not just something that happens just for this one feed it does have a knock-on effect and it does continue yeah. it's yeah, it, they don't realize the damage that it can cause yeah
0: uh, it, it's really hard I've had similar and I've had a few clients with gestational diabetes this year and I've had like so I had yeah they got told the formula thing and then I had a client who was like well I'm just gonna colostrum harvest and then I've got it and the midwife was like oh well yeah I guess you can do that if you want but we would still recommend having formula around and she's like wow like that makes no sense if I've got colostrum harvested it doesn't make sense and yeah it's it's hard because in hospital it's very pushy with formula and you'll even hear yeah. people saying like oh pack some in your bag even if you're planning to breastfeed pack it in hospital. your hospital bag and it's like that is so not needed because you're already putting that doubt into yeah. your mind as well
1: but actually it's not going to work out
0: yeah and i, know, I yeah i think mindset. it's not it's not helpful at all and it's just so not needed because worst case scenario if you really really couldn't it. they would have it or, yeah. like, you can go to a 24 hour shop <laughs> and get some. Like, your baby's not going to starve. And
1: they're not, not going to starve. I mean, starve in like five minutes while no. you get a formula. It's not going to happen. No. So, it's really, really frustrating. And I think what I get really frustrated with is when they do work out sort of possible top ups, they are working out the top ups in such a large amount. Yeah. Absolutely huge scales. They go, you know, I'm speaking to someone on day five. They go, oh, yeah, they've told me to top up 60 mil after every feed every three hours and I'm just like 60 milliliters for a five day old baby is more than a full feed
0: yeah
1: on all five they probably should be having about maybe 40 45 mils because their stomach is still so tiny but they're being told to top up this 60 milliliters which means the baby is not going to want to come onto the breast or not feed effectively at the breast because they are so full up from the formula Mm. and it means that they are not then getting the milk supply up because they're literally giving a humongous feed and that really makes me quite cross as well and also people aren't given the advice and suggestions of knowing how much to actually give because sometimes that full amount isn't needed so I talked to um, people about looking at whether it was an effective feed or not and determining how much of the top up to give Maybe if it wasn't a very good feed and they literally just sat on and did nothing, yeah, we give a full top-up. But maybe if they come and do some sucking and some swallowing, we don't give the full top-up. It just feels like these amounts are huge. And again, the amounts of, you know, those little pre-made formula bottles that mm. you meant for newborns to bring into the hospital, they are 70 milliliters. They're huge. <laughs> a baby's tummy at birth... Can handle five to seven milliliters.
0: Yeah.
1: Why are these formula bottles so huge? So then, obviously, women and birthing people, when they're breastfeeding, they go, "Oh my gosh, I'm I'm literally trying to squeeze my breast. I'm just seeing drops of colostrum come out. This is what they're meant to be having—the seventy mils. I definitely haven't got enough milk. Yeah. And then they out themselves. Those formula bottles are humongous. That is the amount that probably a six-week-old baby yeah would mapping not a newborn
0: yeah it's it's There's really something. it's really tricky and it's it's like like what we see in birth education as well is that people are being presented with these options and not talk through the risks and the benefits of it they're just being told well you give your baby formula it's going to be helpful it's going to stop your baby from starving and people go yeah. well I don't want my baby to starve I better give it and they're not going but actually the knock-on effects of that is x y and z yeah. and it could be detrimental for your breastfeeding uh, journey and there are all of these other options and would you like to try these other options first or would you like to just try a smaller amount or blah 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 blah. they're just going your baby might starve if you don't do this I'm not saying everyone does this because it's absolutely not there are some amazingly highly trained professionals in the maternity services um but it is something that I think is becoming more common and I'm hearing from my clients is you know if they have any problems with breastfeeding they ask for support and they very much just get that regimented just give formula or just feed every three hours anything else is wrong and it's so tricky because you can't people but they're the professionals surely they know yeah
1: the one thing is again that professionals say that is really outdated advice that they are still saying often is Feed on one breast for as long as possible to get all that hind milk. If the baby comes off the breast, put them on the same breast again to get the hind milk. That's outdated. We know it's outdated. Hind milk and fore milk is not a thing. It's not something that suddenly <clears throat> the breast milk changes from it being really watery to really, really fatty. It is a gradual change because of the baby's sucking pattern. That's the important thing, It is noticing the baby's sucking pattern, and that's determining what kind of milk that they are getting all milk is good milk and actually if a baby is like maybe struggling with weight or you are struggling with milk supply what you should be doing is offering both breasts
0: yeah
1: because you want to get that let down so that milk that starts flowing really nice and quickly and then offer the other breast to get that milk let down again and then that'll be increasing supply that increases the milk intake that a baby is getting and so many people are just told yeah you need to put them on the same breast again And this is detrimental to weight gain, to milk supply. It's not helpful. And it is very, very common told to people. So if you can, just offer both breasts. Try and offer both. If they don't take the second one, obviously that's a different story. You don't need to try and force a baby onto the second breast if they don't want it. But offer it to them. Because if they nine times out of ten, they probably are going to take it, to be quite honest.
0: Yeah, if they want a bit more milk, they're going to take it. If they're super, (laughs) super full, they'll push it away. Yeah. And there, there's your answer to whether it's needed or not. You don't need yeah. to overthink it more than that. I think, yeah. yeah. If, we just, if we were all just more in tune with our bodies and didn't just... From the minute we get pregnant, we outsource our like, inner knowing. We just completely ignore that. And we're like, oh, yeah. now I need to, I'm pregnant. I just need to put all of my trust into other people and into computers and into machines yeah. to now tell me what to do. And actually, if we just listen to our bodies a little bit more then, you know, everything would be just a little bit easier, a little bit less stressful, a little bit more straightforward.
1: (laughs) So true. It's just trusting your body and trusting your baby, knowing that actually you two are, are perfectly fine together. And it's the same with birth, like you said, just trusting in yourself. We don't need to put our faith into computers, into the system, into various things to tell us what to do. We didn't have this many, many years ago. We did just have communities and we trusted in it. And we just, yeah, we need to sort of go within during pregnancy and really just listen to ourselves. Try and ignore all of the, the noise on the outside and just go, actually, what what is my body and what is my mind telling me? Regardless of what's going on around, ignore all the sort of societal pressure and all the information I've heard from various different places. What is it telling me? What is my mind telling me? That's yeah. what you need to listen to.
0: And, and I think... Does- when, when people do that as well, it's easier to find the root of the problem if there is a problem because we've not gone looking for it. We've listened to our bodies and where we understand how breastfeeding works and we start to feed our baby and we realise actually maybe there is something that's wrong and then we can seek support for it rather than just immediately putting all of our faith in someone else. If you actually listen to your body and there is a problem, it will shout at you loud and clear that there is a problem. It's not like you're going to miss it by doing this you're going to be even more in tune with it if something does arise and it'll be easier to spot so it's like kind of like a win-win situation it's like you're so in tune with yourself people think that when you talk about that you're saying that you should never seek medical help on you should never seek assistance or you should never seek support and it's like actually what that's making you do is find that more accessible because you're so in tune that you can really quickly pick up something's not right Yeah.
1: yeah it's doing the complete opposite it's not you know Refusing medical care and stuff like that. It's something that I talk about in my hypnobirthing classes as well, in that, you know, listen to your intuition. If it's saying, you know, no to the induction, okay, listen to that. But also, if it's saying yes to something, is it telling you that actually there's something wrong? There's so many people that kind of like they go in for reduced movements or something and they're told, no, 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 everything's absolutely fine. And they're just like, no, I've just got this gut instinct. Yeah. Something is wrong listen to it yeah you know really do don't just completely ignore it it's there for a reason yeah so completely agree with you
0: yeah a hundred percent um and yeah that's something like I said like you cultivate that throughout pregnancy and it's going to make your entire parenting journey like essentially like easier but for the entire like postpartum period for everything (laughs) it's not just for the newborn days it's like if you can do this now you can do this until your kid has left home basically
1: (laughs) Oh god yeah. Yeah. It's not just something that's for right now, it is forever.
0: Literally. Um and so like leading on from that, I would just wanted to quickly talk about because like I said before we started recording, I'm not asking you to give away your entire skill set on this podcast, but just as like a brief overview, what are you looking for in those first few days in a baby that is happy and that is feeding well?
1: Yeah, I think the key thing is nappy output. Like I said, if if milk is going in, it's gonna be coming out. So wet and dirty nappies. And this will vary on a day to day basis in that first week, because basically for every day that the baby has been alive or however many days, the baby, how old the baby is in terms of their days, yeah. um, that's how many wet nappies they'll be getting. So if the baby is three days old, we're looking for a minimum of three wet nappies. More than that is great obviously more is brilliant but we're looking for a minimum of that many and then the dirty nappies as well and dirty nappies are really important because they can be a really good indicator of like a bit of a red flag and people say all the time like oh a breastfed baby can go 10 days without a poo yep they can later on yeah after about six weeks in that early first few weeks at least one to two per day is really important and if they aren't getting that if they do go a few days i'm not saying that everything's going to be terribly and something's going really really wrong but it's a good idea to seek some support and just investigate it a little bit more because it may be that maybe aren't getting enough maybe we just need to do a change of latch a little bit or offer the second breast a little bit more frequently or maybe the baby isn't waking very much at night so we just wake them up in the night for a quick feed in the middle of the night to just get that extra boost in So, it is a good idea to check it out. And then that colour transition, like I was saying earlier, going from that thick meconium, sort of black tarry, like marmite sort of texture poo that is horrible to clean. Yeah. (laughs) Colour and then like a mustard yellow. And a lot of people do worry when it gets to that mustard yellow colour, it's really loose, especially in comparison to like that meconium poo. And people go, oh my goodness, have they got diarrhea or something? Because it is so watery. But it's not, it's totally normal for it to be, like, really, really loose, very yellow, kind of like a consistency of, like, a korma. Yeah. Um, hope that's not going to put people (laughs) on eating eating a curry. Um, And it tends to have almost, like, it looks like seedy bits.
0: Yeah, remember that. It's
1: not seeds, it's, like, it's basically bits of fat that haven't been fully digested. Um, But those are the best indicators. And, honestly, I recommend to anyone, if you are going to breastfeed just keep like a little bit of a note for the first like week or two maybe while you're getting to grips with things and maybe building up your confidence just do like a little tally chart or write down when they had a wet nappy when they had a dirty nappy what was the dirty nappy look like because then if you get to like 8 9 p.m and the baby's cluster feeding and you start to have that moment of doubt and you go maybe they aren't getting enough milk maybe i'm doing something wrong and you can look back over that and go well it's day four They've had five wet nappies and three dirty nappies and the colour is already like a a yellow colour. That's a really good sign that actually they are getting enough. So I don't need to worry. So it's your sort of reassurance to yourself that they're getting plenty of milk. And that is honestly the best way to go about it for yourself. Um, There's lots of other ways, you know, weight gain. You can look at if they are generally settled after having a feed that's a good sign obviously there is going to be sometimes where they're a bit unsettled that's normal but if they're generally settled um and we want, we want to have at least 8 to 12 feeds in 24 hours so if they are having less than that it might actually be not a good thing because it might mean that they are extra extra sleepy and they're struggling to wake up and i say 8 to 12 feeds but the majority of babies will feed so much more than that.
0: Yeah. Like
1: if he did it myself when my little boy was um, 3 months old. I thought, Do you know what? I'm really curious how many times he actually does feed in 24 hours because I can guarantee it is not 8 to 12 feeds. And now I did include little like comfort feeds where he came on really quickly, ones that he came on during his sleep and stuff. But I think it came up with like 26. Yeah. <laughs> 24 hours. And that's absolutely fine. And I think that's, it's making it very clear that that is a minimum of the foods they should be having, not a maximum. If they are feeding 20 times in a day, that's totally fine. That is absolutely fine. You're not doing anything wrong with that. It's quite normal for them to feed very frequently. But yeah, keeping an eye on nappies is the best way that you can just sort of reassure yourself that feeding is going well. There is that bigger picture, obviously, but if you just need that reassurance especially sort of before you get those weight checks of what's going on especially like you know that first up to day five before they do that initial weigh-in you can really be like well, well are they i don't know because we've not had anything checked really mm-hmm. so it's that reassurance to yourself is incredibly helpful and incredibly invaluable if you've got that um you know that's half of the problem because yeah. if they do have those moments of doubt that well they're not being put down it must mean i'm not getting it you know, giving them enough milk, you can just go. Actually, yes, they are getting enough milk because they're doing all these wet and dirty nappies.
0: Yeah, and they don't want to be put down because they've been in a womb for nine months that was warm, and they were constantly held, and they were constantly rocked, and they've never been away yeah. from me. That's why they don't want to be put down.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. In our in the birthing course, we do like a a bit at the end of like womb to world, yeah, the transition, and. We sort of like write down all the stuff that they're experiencing in the womb, and then all the stuff that they're experiencing in the world, and it's almost like a light bulb moment for people because they go, "Hang on, it's the total opposite yeah. <laughs> of what they've been used to for the last nine months or however long you've been pregnant for." Yeah. It's like it's, it's no wonder that actually they're not happy with being outside in the world and not not wanting to be put down yeah. because it's a really it's a completely different environment for them. It must be really, really scary.
0: Yeah, definitely. And then, and so, what do you think about in terms of the mum or the person who's breastfeeding? So, like, what can they look for that is normal or isn't normal? So, oftentimes you hear people say that it's painful at the beginning, and sort of how normal is that?
1: I'm probably going to upset a lot of people saying (laughs) (laughs) that. Feeding should not be painful. Yeah. And by that, I mean that it should not be excruciatingly painful throughout a whole feed. You should not be getting cracked nipples, bleeding nipples. That's not normal, but 90% of people experience painful feeding, and about 35% of people stop because of painful feeding. So it's really common, but that doesn't mean it's normal. But people constantly say, like, I'll be prepared for the first two weeks. It's going to be really, really painful. Lather on the cream and just grin and bear it. Don't grin and bear it. Please don't grin and bear it. Get support. It might be a little bit of a discomfort for the first maybe 60 seconds or so. But that should subside and you should then feel comfortable the remainder of the feed. If it is not comfortable for the rest of the feed and it just stays painful, there's something that's maybe not going right with that latch because it shouldn't be that painful. And you should absolutely get some support with it because, yeah, it shouldn't be painful at all in terms of that. And I hate that people have to experience that and go through it and they just think that that's what they need to push through for it to just work and cream is something that I have a bit of a hatred for because people just use the cream as like well we'll just keep putting on the cream and it'll it'll get rid of it it's not gonna do that unless you get the latch changed and actually I find that sometimes the cream can make it worse because people lather on that cream all over the breast what's cream it's very slippy it's incredibly slippy so a baby is then going to come onto the breast, slip go right to the end of the nipple and then it's just going to be more and more painful so it's this cycle of us putting on the cream to help but actually it's making
0: it worse making it worse I'd never considered that before until maybe it was it was recently a couple of weeks ago I saw a post on Instagram someone shared about it and I was like oh my god that makes so much sense because I'd never really it's not breastfeeding never was really painful for me so I didn't really use the creams but I have in the past you know said to clients yeah these creams you can get and like they're meant to really help and stuff like that and then I saw that person it was like a light bulb moment of like of course that's not I know it can be helpful a little bit but like you say lathering it on is not It's a slippery slope isn't it literally (laughs) it's (laughs) not helpful I tend to say that if
1: someone is using it Use it for only if you have got like an open wound because that's then moist wound healing, which really does help. But literally just putting a little bit onto the area that's affected, not lathering it on. And actually, it's just as easy to use some of your breast milk because that has healing properties in it, actually. So it's going to be helping loads and it's still using moist wound healing. So if you don't want to, you don't have to buy that really expensive
0: purple yeah. tube that is <laughs> it's <so> expensive crazy. <laughs> there's Don't a lot of money yeah Just
1: squeeze your boob
0: yeah <laughs>
1: you've got your own special nipple cream that has healing properties in it yeah much
0: it better. doesn't and cost you 15 quid <laughs> yeah
1: and a lot of people are actually um, allergic to the lanolin yeah that's those creams so some people they might be lathering this cream on hoping that it'll help and actually they're then getting an allergic reaction and causing it to be more painful yeah so yeah use your own breast milk and you don't have that problem of an allergic reaction either
0: yeah very helpful no that's super super helpful no thank you for sharing um and then the last thing that i wanted to just talk about before i let you go because we've been nattering up. i mean to be <laughs> fair for how much we both talk we've kept this quite civilised but it's yeah. <laughs> still I'd being expected quite... it to be longer, to be honest. Yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've kept it quite succinct. But um yeah. where would you what would you say would be like where would you go if any problems arise? So whether that is pain or whether it's problems with latch or what would be sort of your levels of support? Where would you go?
1: Yeah, so most areas will have a local peer support group, which can be really, really helpful to go to Um, to like just get that peer support chatting to other mums you don't just have to go if you've got problems people just come for like that society you know having a bit of a social time and just speaking to other people that are probably going to be going through the same sort of stuff as you is really helpful and it's that kind of like first step if you maybe have got painful feeding coming to that's a good option because it may just be a very small adjustment with the latch to actually get things a bit more comfortable so you don't need to do anything else. Um sometimes you can get then referred into the trust like infant feeding team if like maybe people are thinking about oh maybe there's a tongue tie or something. What I would say about tongue tie is that a lot of professionals are not trained and qualified to check for tongue tie. So please make sure if someone is checking that they are someone that's qualified yeah. and looking in the mouth is not checking the yeah. young time <laughs> they Have fingers in the mouth. That's not checking. So yeah, they might be able to sort of refer onto the infant feeding team within the NHS. Um, and then from that, there's sometimes breastfeeding counsellors. So like myself, we can do sort of home visits and stuff like that. We can speak to you on the phone, various different things like that. Um, there's the National Breastfeeding Helpline as well, if you just want to maybe have a quick chat. Obviously it's never guaranteed that someone is going to answer because again it's all voluntary. Um, And then if you sort of want someone that is really almost like gold standard, um, you've got an IBCLC um, and they are very, very knowledgeable in that sort of thing. Um, So that's more for sort of like really, really severe sort of problems, I want to say, more than the standard stuff. Obviously, Um, I'm sort of in that in the middle, higher than a peer supporter, but not quite an IBCLC level. So breastfeeding counsellor level is kind of like, like that in between. But I mean, I'm not blowing my own trumpet, but I do have a good amount of knowledge yeah. And the people that I speak to. They're kind of like constantly like, wow, your brain is just overloading, full of information. Um, and they're just like, God, I didn't even think of that. I do feel like my brain is just full of stuff that is birth and breastfeeding. Yeah. And, like statistics in terms of that sort of thing as well. Like I can just pull sort of statistics of how many people stopped breastfeeding before they wanted to. Oh, it's 83%.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's mad, isn't it? Like I, I completely agree. My brain's yeah. exactly the same. And I think like to become an IBCLC is just too much of a commitment for a lot of people. The amount you have to do to it, it's not, it's not that it's unaccessible to a lot of people, but like if you are working and running a small business and have small children, maybe it's something that a lot of breastfeeding councils want to do. But the amount of work that goes into becoming one yeah. is yeah. simply... Like for
1: me, you have to have done either health science or, like, be a nurse or something like that before. And I don't have, like, A-levels in that kind of area. So for me, that I've got to then do that first. Yeah. So it is a very long journey. But I do feel like I've got a lot of knowledge yeah. to be able to pass along. But it's just the road to becoming an IBCLC is just a little bit too long and not accessible for me uh, for this current time but I do offer lots of other things I do preparing to breastfeed sessions which people are finding very helpful I do sort of phone support and that is phone support for at any point in time of your breastfeeding journey and I do really strongly support um, people stopping breastfeeding as well I'm not just there for continuing I'm not going to keep pushing people to keep going I feel like it's really important to get that good support with actually stopping breastfeeding as well it's not just a right we well, just stop yeah that's how it goes.
0: no <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then I do offer home visits as well um in terms of like that support as well I talk a lot on my hypnobirthing courses as well about um breastfeeding because oh, yeah I felt that is something that again it doesn't just finish that yeah. that's not just it no. we need to do that postnatal prepare preparation as well and doing that preparing to feed
0: yeah so but yeah a hundred percent yeah no I agree with everything you've said and I'm yeah really really grateful to you for coming onto the podcast and for sharing a tinsy little bit of what <laughs> your brain is packed full of
1: <laughs> I, I mean we talk about this for hours so you're yeah. lucky we've kept it at like what almost
0: an hour almost an hour like <laughs> but you've shared so much but I just know that it is just such a small amount <laughs> even though it's so much um so I'm really trying to keep it contract. yeah yeah <laughs> It's like, oh, it would be like a series.
1: <laughs>
0: it would be a full series about it. <laughs> um, so to round out, where can people find you? So social media, website, anything like that, what have you got and what have you got coming up in, for feeding and for pregnant people?
1: So um, you can find me Facebook, Instagram, and I'm on TikTok sometimes, not as much as you are. <laughs>
0: oh, don't even get me started on TikTok. <laughs>
1: I know, I saw people being a little bit
0: people are insane people are unhinged on tiktok <laughs>
1: <laughs> not nice people no uh, yeah, i'm on all of those at uh, birth and boobs and my website is beesbirth and Uk. um you can thank my husband for the business name he came up with it it's brilliant it's so good <laughs> i was quite pleased with it when he came up with it um but yeah i've got coming up i've got um birthing courses around the area so leicestershire area for january on saturday mornings and in march in i think sunday mornings and then i do private stuff in between then so if you wanted a one-to-one course or if you wanted to do that preparing to breastfeed sessions i offer those over zoom as well so i've done quite a few preparing to breastfeed sessions online so I'm more than happy to do those for anybody around. Obviously, if you're in the area, I can, you know, do it as a home visit or something instead. But yeah, pretty much if you are unsure or you think, oh I'm not I've got a couple of questions, you can always just come and message me. I'm more than happy to chat with and absolutely no pressure to to book anything if you kind of just want a little bit more information as yeah. well.
0: Perfect. So I will leave the links to all of those in the show notes. So People definitely go and check that out. And thank you again for coming on and sharing your knowledge with us all. Thank
1: you so much for having me on. It's been lovely.
0: Recording stopped. Right. Perfect. (laughs) I'm so sorry if you could hear my phone going off. I am on call, so I can't. um,